This episode of Holly Randall Unfiltered is brought to you by Balesa.co, the premier destination in porn for women. Balesa brings you the hottest free porn videos that prioritize female pleasure. Just as steamy, they have some of the best erotic fiction on the web. And now, finally, sex toys! Balesa just launched their signature line of sex toys, as well as a curated selection of the best, most exclusive sex toys available online. Use the code HOLLY15 at checkout to get 15% off your order today. Amazing vibrators and totally simple to use, the Balesa line is perfect for both first-timers and pros. Vibrators, couples toys, butt plugs, you name it. Visit balesa.co slash store and use code HOLLY15 at checkout to get 15% off your new toy today. That's B-E-L-L-E-S-A dot C-O slash store with coupon code HOLLY15 for 15% off. Everybody, I am so fucking excited because I am relaunching my website, hollyrandall.com. I have finally taken it back after five years of having another company run it, and it is now 100% under my control, and I couldn't be more excited. So please support me and go and join my new website. That's hollyrandall.com. And I will love you forever. And if you don't want to join my website, but you want to support this podcast, you can always go to patreon.com slash hollyrandallunfiltered. And I will take your money there as well. And I will love it just as much. So thank you guys so much for your support. And support me at hollyrandall.com. Today on the show, I am thrilled to have Lena Paul, beautiful, busty porn star, but she is so much more than that. I was actually interested to have Lena on my show because I saw a tweet that she put out with a list of her advice for new female talent in the industry, and I thought to myself, that is such a great message. She has such great advice, and I really love to deliver information to new girls so that they can have a good experience in the adult industry as opposed to following the wrong advice or maybe getting caught up with the wrong people like a bad agent and having a bad experience. I think coming into this industry armed with information is such an important thing and I think that Lena is going to deliver a great message about all that information that everybody should know when they're considering getting into the adult industry. So without further ado... Welcome, Lena Paul. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today in the studio, I have the incredibly beautiful Lena Paul. Hi, how are you? I'm so good. I'm even better to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much. Do you remember when we first met? Oh my goodness, we first met on the set of DP Star. We did. We I had to did. Think about that for a second. Yeah. Oh my God. That was only two years ago, but I feel like porn years are dog years. <laughs> I know, right? And so that somehow feels like it was a million. <laughs> it was. That was a crazy production, too. That's when I was the producer because I was the judge the year before. Um, uh, but, uh, I was a producer on it that year mm-hmm. and that was, um, man, I got to say that was the most complicated project I've ever done. All of the sort of reality show contest ones are just pure chaos, just yeah. pure insanity. Like, Cause there's so many people involved. It's truly, it's like <sighs> event planning in a lot of it, ways. It was, it was like, and uh, yeah, it was nuts. I mean, thank God. My assistant was like so great, but it was um yeah. Oh was, my god, I miss Elena. Yeah, 
yeah, she moved to New York, but she's out there and she's happy and she seems. How to be dare great, she so. pursue personal fulfillment? I know, right? How dare you like chase How? your dreams God. and like take advantage of your youth and mm. maybe try living in another city for a while? Ugh. But it's okay. I got actually somebody. Um, her replacement is amazing. Um, oh, I can't wait to meet she's them. She's really great. Uh, her name is Libby. She was actually on my show a couple of episodes ago with her ex-husband, who is a rope bondage expert. Um, so yeah. Wow. And she actually was a, uh, model too, like years ago, wow. like a fetish model. So like, she's like totally familiar with the industry. Yeah. And, um, cause the thing is like working for me, you can't have somebody who's too squeamish Agreed. or is too like kind of. My assistant is also. easily. Yo, absolutely. <laughs> I think it's best within this business because I went through the same logistical issue of like suddenly realizing that, oh my God, I have like. 36 hours of work to do every day yeah. and only 24 hours to put right. them in. And so I started looking for an assistant and I was just like, how the fuck do I write this ad? Mm-hmm. Like, I have no idea. So I actually wound up like looking for a performer to be my assistant. Yeah. And I wound up getting a performer who like, someone who likes to do other things besides performance. And, and so it's like, it's much better. I kind of circumvented that. I yeah. Can't. Yeah. I actually, before I hired Libby, I did have this other girl I hired this, I picked this other girl and um, she, she came, she trained one day and she quit the next day. <laughs> and oh it was like, oh my God, she was just so uncomfortable. She, it was just too much for her. She Poor grew up, thing. she grew up from te- in Texas and she came from well, a very shit, conservative, from Kentucky. she came from a very conservative family and mm-hmm. I think it was just uh it was just too much for her. I totally get so, that. But I'm glad I fig- I found that out after the first. And then Libby ended up being like perfect. So everything worked out the way it was supposed to. But um, actually it was kind of funny. So funny story. Yesterday I was shooting and um, we ended up using this new guy um, uh, as, as an extra. And he's a new male performer. He's only like a month in the industry. Is it Brad Newman? Yes. <laughs> Yes, and he actually listens to this podcast, so he's gonna be super That's excited so that I talked about it. He's gonna flip his shit that, that we're talking about him. Oh, my God, yeah, he was so he was really sweet yesterday. He was, sweet. He's such a little sweetie pie. Yeah. I just uh, I just had him on a feature very similarly. He was yeah. playing an extra, and he said Nicolette Shea got him into the industry. Yeah, like the whole story is so insane. Like it they was, met at the gym, and then she just banged him. And then she's like, "Hey, do you want to do porn?" He's like, "Sure," and then he's in porn. Who the fuck has that experience? Like, right, that never. Ha- I'm like looking at this guy. I'm like, "Are you for real?" That happened to you? Because I know, and he's so gorgeous and all of that, and you're just like, why? How did you? How but did you so, wind up here? Exactly. It's just yeah. so funny too, because you know, I'm sure you get this all the time, guys. Like, oh, how can I get in the porn industry? How can oh I get my in the porn God. industry? And I've I'm started like, charging them. I'm like, you can a- ask that question if you pay me fifty bucks just for me to deal with like the number of eye rolls I'm going to have to do. Yeah. They'll give me a headache. All yeah. right, you're paying for my ibuprofen for the eye rolling. Yeah. I'm going to have to do if I read your email. I just delete every single one of those emails. I don't even respond because I'm like, I'm not like, I'm so so. It's just anyways. So. The reason that I even brought the whole thing up is because talking about like strange work environments and like mm-hmm. things that are said on our in our world that like you would, would mean something different oh in another God. like corporate world. So anyway, so he, as I said, is a performer and um, you know is looking to start doing more work. And so my makeup artist comes up to me and she goes, "That guy Brad just showed me his dick in the wardrobe room." And like, and and for a moment, I was like, "Oh, oh. shit, are you okay? Like, are you yeah, like, yeah, oh yeah, my yeah. god, do you want me to talk to him?" And she was like, "He's got a huge dick. You should totally hire him." Right? Exactly. <laughs> and I was like, "Of course." She like wasn't upset. She was like, "Hey, you know, like trying to like tell me like you know, it was just funny." And I just thought like, of course, you had this brief moment of like stomach dropping yeah. from like I I totally <laughs> get that. I I have these experiences sometimes because like 
Pornland is so immersive. Mm-hmm. It kind of eats your whole life mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways. And and so I go back home to like my little countryside family in Kentucky and like visit with them and I just I I have like culture shock for the first two days. I'm yeah. like, I can't talk about the fact that my asshole itches because <laughs> I did two days of anal back to back, which is the worst idea. And so I've got a micro tear back there that's healing. And I'm just like, God damn it. And I'm like sitting there wiggling. And like normally if I was around porn people, I would just be like, excuse me, I have to climb up my own ass. Like, give me a minute. And they'd be like, oh, that's fine. Do you want help? <laughs> is this a little bit refreshing sometimes? Like how just incredibly open and honest and like TMI we are and just how nothing feels. Us. Like, I, there's nothing you just can say to oh me that God. will shock me. No, no, there's nothing. there's literally nothing that yeah. we can talk about on a porn set that's going to really shock people. And if they do, it's like they're elated. It's yeah. like we're elated yeah. whenever someone yeah. does something shocking enough <laughs> right. to like offend our sensibilities. <laughs> right, right. They're like, wait, he wanted you to do what now? And then, <laughs> yeah, like, and then it becomes, oh, oh, so and so, the guy who asked you to do whatever, you don't know, take a shit on his chest, whatever. Like, like, it's like, oh, the guy who like did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so how did you get into the adult industry? Speaking of coming, going back home and living a different life. Oh, um, so I have always, like, I've always been attracted to unconventional jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents are both entrepreneurial, and so like I was never really around people who got up at nine, got up at six a.m. to go to work at nine mm-hmm. to come home at five and then wash, rinse, repeat. They didn't right. do that. Um, and so whenever I first started off into the workforce, what I did was basically I, I dropped out of college and, um, was working with a startup that was dealing with the indigenous Maya, um, in Central America, working on the treatment of this plant disease that was wiping out like half of a lot of the cash crops within Central America due to, um, it's like a fungus and the more hot and wet the earth gets, Mm -hmm. the more mold grows and fungus grows and things like that. So there was this, we basically had this magic bullet cure that was working on a lot of things, but startup time is lean and everybody's having to pitch in. And so I being enterprising and realizing, all right, I have to keep jumping back and forth from from like coast to coast and country to country. I can't really have a real job to like pay the bills while I'm doing this. So I started webcamming. From like my hotel rooms at night. And I had like a little Snapchat that I was selling that like, cause I could do Snapchat in the jungle. Like, mm-hmm. cause you could get cell phone signal anywhere now. Yeah. So like I could do my little Snapchat in the jungle. And, um, whenever that startup went the way that a lot of startups do, which is, you know, they bite the dust. Yeah. Um, I was like, wow, you know, the reason that my startup didn't do well really had a lot to do with the fact that the people who had the money either A, weren't smart enough to listen to the people who had the expertise, or B, had an agenda of their own. Right. And I promised myself, I'm like, I'm going to be the money guy. That's going to be me. Um, I don't have anything right now. Um, I, like a lot of people, you know, you hit 18 and it's like, you're on your own. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had nothing. But I made a promise to myself that I was going to generate as much capital as I could so that way when the next opportunity like that hit me that no one was going to wreck it. Mm -hmm. And... So when porn agents started calling from the webcam world and like saying, "Hey, have you ever thought about doing pro porn?" You know, I'm like, "Oh yeah, what are tube sites? Porn's still like this glitterati thing where people make millions, right?" <laughs> oh yeah, right, <laughs> right. And uh, so I was like, "Ah, fuck it." Um, I think honestly, I had some nihilism at that point. Like when a when a startup business dies, it's like your baby. Like mm. you love 
it you spend all of this time on yeah. it and I think I was still grieving in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and so I was just like I just want to lose myself in other people's genitals for a while and <laughs> and make money and I just that might be the best quote I've heard just, in a while. Just, you I, need to make a shirt out of Lena Paul. Lose yourself in my genitals. Exactly. Like, that should be exactly your like just just I want you to just disappear in my pussy for a while <laughs> just yeah there's a reason the french call it the little death <laughs> and so i was just like i was just looking for this kind of like endorphin high i think mm-hmm. you know jumping off of waterfalls and going through the jungles and all of these things i went from this like really um high adrenaline like high conflict like i was like working with I was basically the central point of contact between like all of these Central American unions and like the farmers and all of these things and then like all of our finance guys and tech guys and research and development people on the US side. So I had a really interesting, fun, amazing life. Like whenever I met my husband, I was like, hey, so I want to fuck you tonight, but I'm really tired because I'm getting over like, fuck, what did I have at that point? I had gotten like spider bites. From Jesus. from like some like tropical some like tropical spider had like bitten me through my hammock as I was like leaving Mexico and I was in his town and I was just like hey like I super want to fuck you but I may fall asleep on you because I'm like <laughs> really sick at the moment <laughs> but it's not contagious and so then I had to explain it to him and he's like what who the fuck are you Indiana Jones <laughs> and I'm like I, I just I just had this adrenaline love and so I started like chasing that adrenaline high through porn and I loved it. I loved every part of it. I loved being able to generate capital and be able to like do a lot of work at my own pace. So if I want, like this month, I'm working like 28 days out of the month, and then next month, I'm just going to enjoy myself and work on my own projects. Yeah, you said today was your first day off in 17 days, right? Yeah, yeah. uh, My pussy's about to fall the fuck off. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like sipping tea. I I was like explaining to you on the way in. I'm like sipping tea. I'm like, I'm sorry. I've just been yelling nonstop for the last 17 days. I'm not sick. I just don't have a voice. (laughs) I gotta say, you... I love your story about how you got into porn because you literally got into porn to support your charity cause, which is like I've never and I've heard every story about why girls get into porn. I've never heard it I've like framed never like heard that. that. I've like never heard it framed that way per se. I mean, I wasn't necessarily. I wasn't trying to not make money in the jungle. It's just like right, like in a I, lot of things. <laughs> I think that whenever you do what you love, mm-hmm. the money bit comes secondarily to yeah. it. Like the more that I do the things that I'm passionate about, I realized that I had two choices in life. That I could swap financial stress for work stress mm-hmm. and I could instead of being miserable at home looking at my bills, I could be miserable at work looking at my projects. Mm-hmm. Or I could do what I wanted to do and do the things that made me happy that I had natural aptitudes in and um and let things work out from there and mm-hmm. i and i cuz like we spend most of our life at work yes. whenever it comes we're a sleeper oh at work oh my god you you know what i say that all the time i'm like it's the worst thing in the world to hate your job because mm-hmm. you spend most of your life at work and that means you spend most of your life miserable if you hate your job like right holy shit what an what a curse and and like if you're like me and and i'm uh, i'm agnostic leaning you know i, mm-hmm. I don't really I don't feel comfortable saying that I know what comes after this. Right. And I'm like, if this is the only shot that I have mm-hmm. at existence, like, I'm going to 
fucking I'm gonna take the wheels off this thing. Like yeah. I wanna like skid to the finish line with like a cigarette in one hand and like <laughs> like a just like maybe with some sort of strain of like some weird tropical disease from like drunk from <laughs> right. running around in jungles and, right, and right, fucking right. all the village boys. Um <laughs> But, you know, like I just, I want to get my money's worth out yeah. of this life. Yeah, I think that that's something that people forget, myself included, you know, like so easily. I mean, like this is, I mean, obviously depending on your belief system, but there's a good chance this is it. Exactly. You know what I mean? I, I, I think regardless of your belief system, you have yeah. to have like a healthy a healthy suspicion that there's a possibility that this is all that there is. Or that what comes next, you know, consciousness may not even resemble what we think of it as it is now. So right. enjoy the most of this as you can. Like, yes. Do the things that you love. Do the things that make you feel good. Um, obviously not to the detriment of others. Right. Um, but no, I, I just don't understand being miserable. I've I've always been like... I was a uniquely serious child. I was just mm-hmm. like thinking about like what happens when we die and like yeah. what is the meaning of life at like 13 and 14 and yep. 15 and like reading philosophers like a fucking dork. Um, <laughs> just like I, I was always so like preoccupied with that notion of like existence and, and I don't know, somehow that led me to porn. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. You're such an existentialist. <laughs> I really am. I was so I was so obsessed with this concept. That's fantastic. Um, so another reason I wanted to have you on, I remember you put this tweet out, and it was this really great like kind of list of all the things that new girls should do when they get into the industry. And I just thought you had some really solid advice in there. And for me, like one of the saddest things is when I talk to girls and I find out that they come into the adult industry and they have like some horrible experience and it obviously like colors, you know, how they feel about the adult industry and, and themselves and themselves. And, you know, girls will come into the industry and, they, and they'll get caught up with some shady agent who will mm-hmm. push them into things they're not ready for. They don't feel that they have the power to say no. They don't feel that they have like authority over their bodies. And um, I just think that that's a real shame. And so what what I have seen change since my f- 20 fucking years in this industry, Ooh. it'll be 20 years in September, um, is how the internet and social media has really allowed um, models to collaborate and to talk and to kind of come together and to educate each other and become like a stronger workforce that way. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about that and about some of the things that you would tell new girls who are coming into the industry. Well, First off, I, I'm so flattered that you would reach out to me for that, of of all reasons. Um, I was really taken aback. That was just one of those things where I was just like, like, you know, you're like peeing and you're like tweeting. And yeah. just like, you, you didn't even think about it. But yeah. the reception that I received f- from that series of tweets, it just, especially from new girls, was so, so gratifying. I, I, um, it shows a real need for that kind of advice. Exactly. I think that was what I was taken aback by. And honestly, to tell you the truth, for the last um, six or seven months, I've just realized that while I love performing, I, I, I love performing, <laughs> um, I feel a kind of responsibility, and I and I don't want to suggest that I am somehow qualified for it. It's more of a, I see a vacuum and people aren't filling it, mm-hmm. and so I'm hoping that the more that people talk and contribute to these topics, that more qualified people than I can, yeah. can stand up and, and speak about these things. Right. Um, but as far as new girls, the biggest issue that I see that 
they have coming in. And I felt this in other jobs. I, I remember being taken advantage of as a bartender whenever I was in college, um, just having to agree to getting, you know, patted on the ass by people mm-hmm. in authority over me and having to flirt with shift managers to get shifts because, you know, my food on the table depended on that. Yep. Um, and just being forced into that. And so whenever we started looking into things about porn reform, mm-hmm. not that not that we're broken, but we definitely have areas that we need to fix. Um, the biggest issue that happens that I see is that girls get into a situation where they feel that they don't have the economic security mm-hmm. to enforce their boundaries. If mm-hmm. it's a, oh, if I say no on a set, that if I say I don't want to do something on a set, that that's going to reflect on my agent. That's going to reflect to the studio. That's going to reflect to these producers. And they're going to say she's difficult. She's, they're going to say yeah. that she's a diva. They're going to say that she's all of these, um, all of these derivative words. And and we hear people talk about women this way on mm-hmm. sets. We hear people say, "Oh, she is difficult." And then you get into it, and it's like, really, what their problems are is that it sounds like she's expressing more opinions on how she would like to be treated and touched than the average girl. I so agree with you. And um, I've experienced that so much because I've had people tell me like, oh, this girl's a diva or whatever. And then I'll work with them and they're fine. And all it generally is, is yeah, they they have certain boundaries that they want respected. Or, and they're more um, vocal. And yeah, that, or they're more and vocal. why is that bad? Right. Or sometimes, I mean, to be honest, sometimes girls are, are truly just, I think, nervous about the experience and they just need some reassurance. And so I Absolutely. try to find that when, I try to remember when I feel that a girl is being difficult, it's probably coming from a place of fear. She's not trying to make my life hard. Absolutely. She, there's something that she's nervous about. You know, like I've shot girls before who will like, and this to be fair, makes me inside crazy, but like they'll be like, Are you sure this position looks good? Do I look fat here? Like they'll question mm-hmm. me and I'll be like, Yeah, I know you look great. No, you know, and in my head, I'm like, No, you look like <clears throat> shit. That's why I'm going to shoot you in this position. Like, shut up and trust yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. But I have to remember, like, they're nervous. And then, so there was one girl that I work with like that. And then after she saw the pictures, she trusted me. And then the next time we worked together, it was a totally different experience. Absolutely. And people forget that because of this relationship that we have, like, I think the average length of a porn performer's career is like three months or something mm-hmm. like that. There's mm-hmm. like some crazy statistic for like the average length. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of us don't have the time to build up the relationships because mm-hmm. I see a difference now in how I'm treated as someone who is quote unquote a name. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, oh, she's rated number such and such on Pornhub. We have mm-hmm. to be nice to her. But mm-hmm. I remember how they treated me whenever I was new. Mm-hmm. And, I know that those two experiences are different. And so one of the big things that I see is believing girls whenever someone um, does something to them that you go, oh, they've never treated me that way. But I think when a lot of us observe it, it's because they know better than to treat us that way, which suggests a kind of sinister um, scenario. And so the question becomes, you know, how how do we fix that? How do we make that not happen? And the biggest way that I see that happening is girls developing their own streams of income. The things like Snapchat, things like OnlyFans, things like ManyVids, uh, Pornhub Premium channels, things along those nature, where they're able to directly sell to fans and consumers mm-hmm. and gain the rewards from that. You know, and it's not that they have to do that to the detriment of their porn career, but to treat it as a form of, I believe that diversified income streams is a form of self-care because it gives you the autonomy to say, no, I can turn down this shoot because Mm -hmm. I'm not comfortable with it. Um, 
I will tell you a story, if I may. I would um, love to hear a story. About, so whenever I first came into the business, I was really excited to shoot for this one particular company because they just did this really pretty, soft, romantic stuff, mm-hmm. you know, stuff that I had masturbated to in high school mm-hmm. and college and mm-hmm. all of that stuff, like, just stuff that I really liked. And they were doing a cosplay feature of something that I super loved, mm-hmm. and I was so excited to do the shoot. And uh, I had done maybe less than less than 20 scenes at that point. I'm like brand spanking new. Right. Um, so I drive three hours to get to the location because I still lived in San Diego at the time. And I get there, and the director pulls me aside and says, you know, did your agent talk to you about what we're doing today? And he's got that tone in his voice, and I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to like this. (laughs) No. He didn't tell me what we're doing today. What are we doing today? He's like, well, we're doing a rough scene today. I'm like, really? You guys are, like, glam gonzo at, like, you're Mm -hmm. like, you you don't even, like, let an eyelash get out of place. Like, Mm -hmm. Like, what are you talking about? Um... And they're like, yeah, like the director, the directive that we're getting from corporate is to push compliance with how rough we want this scene to be. It's so funny because I totally know exactly what you're talking about because <laughs> <laughs> I've had this experience as well. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. And I'm like, I'm like so new. I'm like, push compliance. What the fuck does that mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm just like, okay. I mean, at that point, I don't really. There's not really a space in which I can think about, okay, do I want to do this or do I not want to do this? I've just driven three hours, and it's this company that has this sort of like pre-established mm-hmm. d- definition of what they do, and so I'm, I'm, confu- I'm confused right, going into right, it. Right. And I agree to do the scene, and I have an incredibly high pain tolerance. I like really, um, I'm one of those people that just the nerves are kind of crossed in me, mm-hmm. and so you like pinch my nipple, and I'm like, ooh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. I just like a little bit of pain. That was, they fucked the shit out of me. I th- hit my cervix so hard that I had to go and lay down in the bathroom and dry heave from the pain. Oh, and and I tell that story not to elicit sympathy. You know, I definitely had that moment where I went home and like had my like stereotypical cry in the shower. Mm-hmm. And I and I had to go back and think about this analytically. And I was like, okay, I do not like what happened there. Mm-hmm. But what went wrong there? Who mm-hmm. did what here? So obviously there was a failure to, uh, with miscommunication here. Someone failed to communicate with whom. Um, and then, you know, no one forced me into this scenario, but I need to think about how I can extricate myself from these scenarios in the future. And at the time, with the level of economic security that I had, I was just getting into porn. I'd put out a lot of initial, there's a lot of expenditures initially in getting in porn mm-hmm. in terms of body maintenance and wardrobe and travel mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I realized, you know, if I had had my secondary income streams more set up at that point, I probably would have stopped and thought more critically and gone, okay, this isn't something, you know, I need mm-hmm. to stop this. I need to stop. Yeah. I need to call my agent. I need to figure out what's going on. And then, you know, I would feel more comfortable at, at that point saying, all right. I need to change the script here. We need to soften this up. We need mm-hmm. to like do these things and that things. It's not that anybody forced me into that scenario. It was that I felt that I had to go along and be agreeable in order to get more bookings, even though it was beyond my level of comfort. Right. And I look back on that situation now, and I realize I've probably encountered that situation 20 or 30 times over, but it's never gotten to the point where I was dry heaving on a bathroom floor again because... 
I developed my income streams to the point where I was never dependent on a booking. Mm -hmm. And I could say, we need to change the script, or Mm -hmm. we need to stop and do this, or Mm -hmm. we need to do something differently. And if they ever came back to me with a, no, we can't do that, I could be like... Well, sorry, I gotta go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that that's that's a great power to be able to have, and um, and I and I love that you give that advice because I think a lot of girls don't realize that. I think especially when they're new, mm-hmm. when they're new, they come in, they get booked a ton. You know, that's kind of always the way it is. And then you get shot out, and then there's not as much work happening, and then you're like, "Ooh, what do I do now?" Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, these girls they've never had like. You know, because it can be a quick, big source of income, and they've never had that kind of money, and then they go and it's spend the it on stupid shit. You know, like a fucking new car that they can't afford, purses, dumb Absolutely. stuff like that. And um, and yeah, they don't take control of their own because you can do that now. I mean, the internet has allowed you to do that. It has given so much power back to the models that they never had before. Oh yeah, it's completely democratized porn because the thing is, is that I have just as much of a shot at this point to acquiring new so people are turning 18 every day people are getting credit cards every day and and purchasing porn for the first time right now as it stands I have just as much of a possibility to lock in a new prospective porn purchasing client as any um, any major studio does like mm-hmm. I can lock them into my snapchats I can lock them into my many vids to where I'm capturing those sales mm-hmm. And I can do that just as effectively as browsers or mofos or evil angel or any of those can right. at this point because of the internet and because of social media. Right. And girls don't realize that they have the power now. Mm-hmm. And I compare porn girls and, and porn performers, not just not just women, uh, men and women, a lot of ways to athletes. Uh, a lot of them come from backgrounds where economic management uh, is not a taught skill. Mm-hmm. And we don't really encourage that education within school systems. It often comes from, it's passed down from generation to generation Which, as a privilege. by the way, also makes me crazy. Like, oh, I've my God. never understood like why they don't have like just basic life shit 101, like filing your taxes. Exactly. Like, um, getting a credit card, like getting a bank, setting up checking credit. Checking your credit. Checking your credit, just like, like basic things calculating compounding interest I can't tell you how many letters I get from the IRS of liens on girls who don't pay their taxes Mm -hmm. I mean every year I get all these all these letters from the IRS like this person owes this much money this person owes this much money like do not pay, you know, basically what they're telling me is that if I hire these people again to not pay them and to take the money I would pay them and give it to the IRS it's terrifying and I'm just like and I you know hear people that go years they don't pay their taxes like do you think that the IRS isn't going to find you? Like- I know one AVN, an AVN award-winning performer who shot hundreds of titles, who is my age, I'm about to be 25, um, who owes the IRS $300,000. Yeah. And that's that, at that point, you look at that and that goes... Someone failed to educate you here. Yeah. This is this is obviously this is not normal behavior. Someone's failed to educate you here. And so the question then becomes where do girls get education on this mm-hmm. topic? And if you're clever, you sort of pick things up by osmosis here and there, but really when you look at the girls who succeed on like a business and longevity level, it it's the girls who come from privileged backgrounds who know what to do with a windfall of cash whenever mm-hmm. they get it because they have a team of people who are advising them who have mm-hmm. been able to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I started asking myself about six or seven months ago, how can we work to level that playing field a little bit to where girls who are getting in now who are starting from square one and know nothing, how can they not have to struggle the way that 
we do now. Mm-hmm. It, and when you're new and when you're bumping into things and figuring out, okay, this this thing I can't do because of this and this thing I should do and, and all of those things, how do we basically create crash courses for new girls? Um, and related to that tweet, actually, uh, Kevin Moore, who is the, um, he's the, the widower of August Ames, mm-hmm. reached out to me and has We've been working together on the August Ames project, actually. We just started working together on that. He's been working on it for some time now. Um, And the basic premise of the August Ames project is that every performer who has ever shot for a major studio should be able to access both adequate mental health care Mm -hmm. and adequate resources to setting up their own income streams because we both do strongly believe that having your own independent income away from the studios is a form of self-care. Mm-hmm. Um, so he started doing a series of educational videos and I'm in some of those talking about <clears throat> just the basics, sim- something as simple as walking you through the basic steps of signing up for Fan Centro or My Free Cams or Cam Soda or things like that to... Setting up income, um, setting up income monitoring software, and you know, doing bookkeeping and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Just all of these cheat codes that you amass over years, talking to your network of girls. Just what would happen if we just gave girls those resources yeah. just up front? If we gave them, you know, our years of of struggling, and we simplified that into wisdom that girls could take and and apply to their lives early on, so that way they perhaps don't have, as you said, these sort of traumatic experiences early on yeah. that color their view of the way that the industry works. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, me personally, I feel deeply enriched by my time in the adult performance industry. I feel... Um, I feel that it has... By virtue of letting me set my own schedule, by virtue of allowing me an avenue of expressing my sexuality, it's given me a a, a community of of like minded misfits that I love and adore. Uh, it's given me so many different things and an ability to be with my family when I want to be with my family and and not have to worry about the clock or anything like that. Um, and also as a form of mental health care of my own. Uh, for a long time, I, I haven't felt comfortable talking about my own personal struggles with mental illness, mm-hmm. but I'm actually diagnosed with a post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay. Uh, thrill-seeking and, and jumping around in, in jungles sometimes has sometimes has ramifications. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I take an antidepressant every day, and some days those antidepressants work better than others. And when I have a day... Where I can't get out of bed. Fortunately, those days have been a lot less frequent, actually, since I got into porn, uh, hilariously enough. Um, When I have a day like that, I am able to just allow my passive income streams to take care of me Mm -hmm. while I rest and recover. Basically, yeah. Yeah. And I love, I, I think that in some ways people wonder why there's this sort of stereotype of a neuroatypical sex worker that there's that a sex worker always has always seems to have something right, going on right, with them. Right. It's because it's an amazing job for <laughs> for people with mental illness. Like the schedule, the ability to work from home whenever you want to work from home. Like you couldn't design a better job for someone <laughs> with 
<laughs> a mental illness who's treating it aggressively. Like it's it's really amazing for me in that sense. Well, I think it's really great and courageous for you to come out and talk about that. And you know, I mean, same thing here. And I've talked about this. You know, I mean, I had you know serious struggles with alcoholism. And I see a therapist once a week. I actually, right after this podcast, I'm very excited. I'm taking my first um, private guided meditation and like energy clearing class. Oh my God, you have to tell me yeah. how that goes. I've recently gotten into meditation. Yeah, so um, I, I've, I've gone back and forth in meditation. I, I do love it, but um, it's something that I haven't engaged in as much as, as I should. Mm-hmm. And I've had a really, really rough um, year actually so far. Um, I relaunched my website and that was very... It's been very emotionally draining and financially draining. Um, Which is its own anxiety Oh trick. my God, yeah. And then uh, some other things that I don't really want to discuss on the podcast, but I'll, I can tell you afterwards. But it's just been like shit. So I've been kind of losing my mind lately. Like um, I actually am getting to the point now where I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm starting to like get panic attacks. Mm. And I start to feel like claustrophobic. I have to get out of bed. I have to open all like the doors. I have to walk around the house. I have to turn on lights. Like right. it's really weird, you know. Um, Your subconscious is telling you that something's up. That you something, gotta- yeah, totally. And um, and it's been it's been nuts. Like, and I'm normally pretty stable, but I've been feeling very emotionally um, on a roller coaster lately. And I'm so so lucky that I have like an incredible support system. You know, my family's so supportive. My boyfriend's super supportive. My friends and everything. Actually, through everything that I've been going through, I I kind of realized today. Like, I almost started crying this morning because a friend of mine sent me um, a text saying, "Hey, you know, just thinking of you. Want to say I love you, and you know, like think we you're an incredible person." Blah blah blah. Ones. And I was just like, and I've been getting a lot of those, and I was like, oh my god, like. I'm so fortunate to have these people that like care about me so much. Like it's like just you know it's, it's yeah I'm going through some tough stuff but like how lucky am I, you know? And I just felt so like grateful, you know, for that. And um and so I actually spoke I actually talked on Twitter uh 2 days ago. Like I talked about like I had like a mental breakdown on set the other day. Um I was on a really really t- who, who hasn't? I know, right? Who I was has? on a super tight schedule and on top of on top of everything else, um I had a hard out at this location at 6 and we had a lot to shoot and I was like adamant that everybody be on time and the main model who I adore and I totally understand that this was like an accident. This is not something that she normally does. Mm-hmm. But she was an hour and a half late, <gasps> and it completely threw my day because, no, like, yeah. So no, no, I, no, 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 oh, no, oh, no. Oh yeah, no. I was like, you were hot. You were coming to pieces, and I had already like been having so much anxiety about that day. And um, so what I did was instead of like completely breaking down in front of my crew, I actually locked myself in the bed, one of the master bedrooms in the location, and I got out my um, meditation app. Which one do you use? I use Unplugged. I use Headspace. I was using Headspace, and then I just started using Unplugged because I started going to Unplugged Meditation, which is where I met my private oh. meditation teacher. And I love there. They have like different. Um, I love it's like ha- a classroom thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Unplugged Meditation, oh, cool. they have one in um, Santa Monica and they have one in West Hollywood. Oh, shit. Okay. And they're amazing. And I do the sound I'm, baths. I'm making, so a, I'm making a note of this because yeah. I will totally Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You'll love it. So um, <clears throat> so I locked myself in the bedroom and I put on one of the five-minute meditations and I did that. Mm-hmm. And it, oh, oh, my God, it totally reset me. And I came out and I was like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Um, and luckily I was shooting this girl two days in a row. And I'm like, okay, obviously one of the sets I won't be able to finish today because we're running so behind. I'm going to do that tomorrow and I'm just going to have a super long day tomorrow. And you know what? It's fine. It's going to work out fine. And you rolled with it. And we rolled with it. 
we got it done yesterday um, was, you know, the long day where I made up the set that we lost. Everything came out fucking amazing. I'm super proud of it. Um, and it's going to be great. And That's fantastic. it all worked out in the end, you know. I didn't have to, like, completely lose it. But then I got home after all that and then I saw I had no toilet paper in my ba- in my bathroom then I started and I burst into tears and it was just and my boyfriend was like holy fucking shit but you know and and so I, I there has to be outlets for these yeah I just things. needed that release and um and I talked about it on Twitter and actually honestly the amount of incredible positive encouraging feedback was so amazing and it just made me feel like really good and um, valued and it was just really kind and, and I was it like, helps to take that inner voice inside of you yes. and it's part of mental illness itself I think at times it it becomes this sort of internal voice that says people don't want to hear about your problems yes or that your problems are not valid because right. they're sort of invisible right, right but it is a disability Mm-hmm. It is and it a lot of us have it to varying degrees I'm very functional fortunately um I've become more functional since being in porn because a lot of the financial stressors of like having to show up to a nine to five job every day have been taken away from me. So I feel a lot of, a lot more stabilized actually being able to do this job, and I'm very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but more than that, it's so amazing this little community that we have, and I think that we must when you have a position where you feel comfortable talking about your personal. Um, demons. I think that those of us who come from positions of power and privilege and who have a platform must talk about our personal struggles to pave the path to make it easier for the performers and the members of our of our subculture that can't do that. Yeah. But either because they don't feel comfortable speaking up yet or because they fear retribution. I, th- I think that we have to talk about these things. Yeah. I think that um, I have found that you know, since the obviously like tragic death of August, that if there's any any silver lining, I think it's made people realize like how much we need each other and how much we need support and how much we need to talk about what we're going through and we need to like come together. And I feel like I've noticed that people, it's really, you know, her death really shocked people, you know, because she was so loved. And then after so her, and then, you know, and that was surrounded by other deaths of people in our industry, you know, and I, I think it really woke a lot oh of Oh my God, up. absolutely. I just had to, I just had to take another girl out of my, um, out of my content store because she passed away last month. Um, oh man. And <clears throat> it's, it's difficult to talk about. Um, August was, August was a hero of mine. She was one of the, f- first girls that I had worked with coming into the business actually like first 10 scenes that I'd done with mm-hmm. other female talent um, and I just I just idolized her I just thought yeah. I just worshipped the ground that she walked on it she was all the things that I endeavored to be which was you know sweet and kind and humble but still so successful and, and, and funny and goofy yeah and, yeah she didn't take herself seriously no not at all and, and she was just she was just a really special person yeah. and um, it's just I think a lot of us are unsettled and have been unsettled since her death and we don't want her death to go without meaning and and so whenever Kevin started talking to me about the August Ames project and and I mentioned the the masterclass stuff that we're doing but really the crux of the August Ames project is that it functions as a subsidy fund for um, performers who would like to seek mental health care mm-hmm. um, and the the basic it's real simple uh, you come to the August Ames Foundation, uh, you say, I have a problem and I'd like to seek help. And the August Ames Connect- 
they can connect you to a network of perform of performer friendly therapists, mm-hmm. people who are comfortable with what we do and right. who won't stigmatize us or shame us or try to um, make us feel less than for what we do, which is always a big fear yes. of performers and sex workers going into therapy is that they're going to say, um, well, the reason that you're miserable yeah. is because you do sex work. And it's like, no, doc, I was miserable before I got into yeah. sex work. Let's now I'm just miserable and I have money. Now, yeah. <laughs> to come and see you. Exactly. Now I'm or just, not. Now I'm just miserable and I can actually afford to get care. <laughs> Imagine that. But... So basically, it will function as a fund for that. They'll be starting a pilot program um, here shortly. So anybody who is within the industry who has shot for the big studios, if you are interested in doing the pilot program, then I strongly encourage you either reach out to me or to Kevin on Twitter about that. Um, and we'll happily connect you to perhaps joining the pilot program. Um is there a website up for it yet? Or are you guys not yet? Okay. We're yeah, we're still we're still in the in the initial beta testing phases. Right. So okay, there's still a lot of things to uh, to iron out the kinks, but it's I finally feel like I've sort of found the avenue that I needed to to kind of deal with her death and the death of others that we've had. Um, it's it's just so unsettling, and I don't want to see any more dead girls in our business. Yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't stress that enough. This, that shouldn't cutting yourself off from society and, and dealing with the stigma that we have to deal with in order to do the work that we do. Um, your, your health and safety shouldn't be an occupational hazard. It, yeah. it never should be. Yeah. Um, and I think that I really see the work that that we're doing with sorry like I said I'm losing my voice (laughs) (laughs) I really see that the work that um, we're doing as far as helping girls with getting their content set up and doing other things really like it seems like a simple enough thing and like Mm -hmm. something that wouldn't actually contribute to health but I see it as you know we all have we all have our giftings and talents and we all should use those to the betterment of our community and so That's what I know how to do, and and I want other girls not to have to struggle and have to sacrifice their boundaries or or make risky decisions with their house in order to pay their rent. It's yeah, just, yeah. It it has ramifications for your mental health. Constantly crossing your own boundaries. It's not that any one act that we do within pornography is in unethical or immoral or anything like that. There's nothing wrong with doing dirty scenes or extreme scenes or anything like that. But it's about your personal boundaries. It's right. about what you're comfortable with. There's just some things in porn that I look at other girls and I go, more power to you that you can do that thing, whatever that one thing is. Yeah. But I just don't feel comfortable doing it. Right, and, right, right. And so, like, please go go make your thing, but I'll be over here. like Doing my thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, I also want to talk to you about a script that you wrote Ooh. for Brie Mills. Um, based on uh, your own traumatic experience that you had um, that you kind of turned around and wrote into a scene. So tell us about that, because this, to me, is so fascinating. Um, So whenever I started talking to Brie about doing my own script, and and one thing that I love about Brie is that Brie has tried to create a platform that lifts up performer voices, Mm -hmm. I love the fact that she's been doing... So for those of you who, who don't know, who are maybe just tuning in, um, Brie Mills is a award-winning director. I actually interviewed her on my podcast a couple of episodes ago, and she's been 
she directs for Girls Way and for Pure Taboo, and she's been encouraging girls to write their own scripts and um, star in their own little scenes, which I think is so great. And I, I'm kind of almost like, why does someone come up with that before? Right. How, like, how did someone, this idea just occur to somebody? It's so genius. But It's so, so funny how like people were like, wait, you mean if we ask the girls we, that we, do this if job? If we consider them to be like a valuable part of the product and not like just the bodies, the bodies? that are doing the sex acts? Yeah. You think they have something to contribute? You My think God. They might actually like be kind of smart and be able to write something and have good ideas. I don't know. Right. <laughs> There's this there's been this shift even at the professional level within our business of like realizing that sex workers aren't stupid. Yeah. And that's a part of the reason that I wanted to start this podcast because I really wanted people to get to know who these girls were as people and um I've gotten great beat feedback from fans who've been like wow I never knew this girl was like this and now I love her so much more. Amazing. And it's been great for me too because you know I get to spend 10 hours on set with you but we don't really get Yeah, to talk. you're not getting into the nitty-gritty yeah, of like, people's lives. Yeah, so and it's been it's been great for me too because I really get to learn things about people which is surprising and I just find that so awesome. Yeah, no, I So anyways, I agree and it's enriching for those of us who listen to your podcast who who are like, "Oh, that's why this person is this way. That's cool." <laughs> um but yeah, so back to the back to the the thing with Bree is that whenever we started talking about it, it was a situation in which we were like, "Okay, we want to do a group scene." Um so multiple partners and to tell you the truth, like for me, group scenes are one of those things where if it's a bunch of dudes on me at one time, like that's not really a fetish of mine per mm-hmm. se. And so the question for me then became, how can I connect to this work meaningfully? Mm-hmm. Um, because I always like to feel connected to the work that I do, either by um, the nature of the scenario or the script, but more preferably to the performers themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm I'm a simple girl. I like connection. Um <laughs> And so I was like, well, I think the story, I think I knew that this was the story that I wanted to tell. I okay. think I knew that I was finally ready to tell this story because I, I was just trying to think, you know, did I, did I even have to think about this? It was like, this is, no, this was like the first words off my mouth where I want to face my nightmare. Um, and I had this recurring nightmare in the wake of being assaulted in college um, in which it was always the same scenario. I was back in my childhood house and there were masked men in balaclavas trying to get into my house. Mm-hmm. And I was like running from like end to end of the house, locking the doors, locking the windows, making sure everything's safe. And invariably I leave something open and they storm into the house and I wake up every time as they get in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, there's a lot in both mainstream therapy and then in the uh, sort of indigenous shamanic kind of traditions that I studied in college and living with the Maya through the work that I did that says that reliving experiences, particularly traumatic experiences, can be extremely helpful for recovery. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to tell a story that was tender to me, that something that still had some sting to it. And and change the outcome of that through my work and see how that felt. But more importantly than what I hoped to gain out of it, uh, a lot of women, after being assaulted, their fantasies revolve around um, rough situations and and sometimes you know what we would call perhaps degrading situations. Mm-hmm. And and there's a kind of cycle of shame that goes around that of like. 
oh, these horrible things happened to me and then I want to consume this media that sort of depicts a kind of stylized version of such things. You know, uh, I'm a monster. Like, what's mm-hmm. wrong with me? Right. Why, why do I want to watch these things? And, right. like, the psyche... We try to work things out through sex in some ways. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of people are drawn to to working things out. I've actually had um, people experience the uncovery of, of repressed memories through BDSM play wow. right in front of me and, wow. and things along those lines. I, I think that we are attracted to the intimacy of sex as as a medium for working out interpersonal issues at times. Yeah. And that's an incredibly important like part of human nature, you know, our sexuality. I mean, you know, we've been, we're biologically driven, right? To Mm -hmm. have sex a lot so that we can procreate the human race. Exactly. Something that's, it's, yeah. And then, you know, you look out throughout history and you see all these, excuse me, you see all these stylized versions of, of sex that we have. Ah, I'm losing my voice. (laughs) You see all these stylized versions of sex that we have, and whenever that happens, when we when we receive a trauma, we get kind of obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. And so, like a lot of a lot of my college years was just spent like obsessively trying to to pick up the pieces and repair the damage that had been done to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm so happy to say that I identify as a survivor of sexual violence and domestic violence, not a victim of mm-hmm. that. And I no longer feel in any way um, held back by the trauma that I underwent, but I wanted to kind of visit that and hold up and see if that if that held true. Mm-hmm. And this this project sort of arose as that. And so the the premise is this mafia daughter is in her home at night and she kisses her bodyguard goodnight and thanks her for keeping him safe and, and then goes upstairs. And you watch as three men invade the home and they take down the bodyguard and kidnap the girl. And then you see this sort of um, one-act play play out in this garage that they're keeping her in. And you watch this sort of... Um, <clears throat> I'm just going to grab a, a, um, <laughs> a cough drop. I have a cough drop here. All right. I'm going to let you grab a cough drop. Yes, thank you. Okay. <laughs> That's... Why um. happened to me? Well, because apparently you've been screaming your head off for the last 17 days. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's all of these. It's all the damn dicks I've been choking on. <laughs> okay. All better. Okay. Anyway, so we do this one act play situation where the premise is basically I wanted to show a story where a woman could be put into a situation that was dangerous and use her wit and sexuality to get her way out of it. Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of us are put into situations in which we have to use our sexuality to extricate ourselves from situations. Yeah. yeah. Be it flirting with the boss that's yep. going to uh, maybe make your life more difficult if you get a little sticklery about sticking to HR regulations or, you know, being extra nice to the cop who pulled you over mm-hmm. or this, that, whatever. Mm-hmm. We, we are conditioned to sort of use, we can't use violence usually right. in, as women. And right. so we develop a kind of fascination, I think, mm-hmm. at times with it. It becomes yeah. a kind of shadow self for yes. us. Yes. And so basically the story culminates with me convincing them to... Uh, fuck me, 
mm-hmm. and send photos to my dad because my dad's trying to hold out and negotiate a lower payout for the ransom mm-hmm. because he's cheap and kind of a, a scumbag. <laughs> um, so the the scene kind of climaxes with them coming on me. And as they're sort of congratulating themselves, I dive for a gun and shoot them all. Oh, wow. And then uh, I drive to a secondary location. My dad is there with the money. A masked man gets out of the car that's driving me, takes the money from my dad, and then shoots my dad. Gets The masked man gets back in the car, looks at me, and says, where to? And I tell him to the airport, and he takes off his mask, and it's my bodyguard from the beginning. Oh, wow. And so you see that the twist is is that the girl kind of orchestrated this whole situation to get a payout, and, and it's kind of implied to escape from a shitty home life. Yeah. And I wanted to tell a story in which a woman left a rough sex scenario empowered. That's incredible. And who was forced into a sort of shitty kind of sexual situation who got her way out of it with wits and brains and, and all of those things. That's amazing. I love how you took that whole power play and you really changed, turned it on its head. Because I honestly, like, I hadn't seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember seeing, like, I think you tweeted something about writing it and it was about sexual assault. Um, but I have to admit, I totally didn't think it oh, was, course. like, going that way. That mm-hmm. you, but that's genius. I mean, I love that. And I was really excited. Um, I was really nervous. And so I brought this to, I actually brought the treatment to a couple of, of women who had underwent sexual assault and had talked to them about it. And they said, wow, this is amazing. We, we, we have wanted material like this and haven't really felt good about finding it. Were and you so, worried that people were going to kind of like misconstrue your message? Exactly. Because it's a very sensitive topic. And especially now with the whole Me Too movement exactly. happening, it's like this whole conversation is can get kind of awkward. And very vitriolic very yes, quickly. Yeah, people feel very, very deeply about mm-hmm. it. Well, because it's so tender. There's so much trauma related to this. And I was very nervous that it would be misconstrued. I was mm-hmm. very nervous that people would see this as sort of, you know, rape apology or um that it was like in some way um, like glorifying non-consent or something like that. And, mm-hmm. and like that wasn't my goal at all. It was to A, sort of on a personal level, address this kind of recurring nightmare and sort of put it to bed, which I have to say, um, holding the gun at my masked, um, my masked attackers, that moment, I was so deeply in subspace throughout the scene, and then mm-hmm. I had to dive for the gum mm-hmm. and shoot them, and I'm like still shaking from being in subspace at that moment, and and to go through that in that position of feeling so submissive and to have to take back the power even in in an act mm-hmm. was euphoric. Yeah. It, it felt better than like any orgasm I'd ever had on a set. I felt so powerful in that moment and like it it was it was closure in a weird way yeah it it felt like closure to something that had happened to me many many years ago but it's incredible that you were able to use sex as a way to heal from a bad sexual experience it's like the the the, psych, the circle there, you know, is just... You know, I have a theory about... A lot of people talk about things that happen to you after sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's kind of like, in conventional pop psychology, there's kind of the two routes you take. You either become frigid or you become hypersexual. Mm-hmm. 
And if we're like looking back on my life and you're trying to sort of like fit me into boxes, you could probably say that I became hypersexualized mm-hmm. after the wake of my assault. Um, and and people, I didn't want to talk about what happened to me because I didn't want my experience as a sex worker to be written off of like, oh, just another sad whore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boo hoo. Um, but it's like, you know, if I came to porn because I was hypersexualized, and I was looking for a safe space in which to yeah. work through my sexuality, through you know putting as many positive experiences between me and that negative experience, mm-hmm. and doing that over time, and and kind of trying to work out and puzzle out why people, why you know bad things happen to good people, mm-hmm. why seemingly good people do such bad things, and and also all those types of of issues. You know, if that's why I came into porn, and I worked my way through that and and did so in a safe environment with people who are caring like right okay (laughs) and the downside is where (laughs) yeah I've, i've talked to a lot of girls who have said that they've really like discovered themselves and found themselves sexually in the adult industry and and felt that it was a safe place that they could explore all of these fantasies and all of these things that they wanted to do exactly i i kind of had this thing in me and and i felt so um, I felt broken for a long time being a, a very sexual woman. Um, there's not a lot of spaces, especially in the conservative South where mm-hmm. I grew up for women who are very sexual or who are very sexually outgoing. Right. And I realized that in many ways I had kind of been deprived of an education and that my education had been, of a sexual education rather, and that my sexual education had then been warped by these bad early experiences. Yeah. And... It, I just sort of went on a quest of of okay, what satisfies me sexually? Why? Mm-hmm. What do I derive in meaning? And I, I loved the form of self expression and the way I connected to others. You know, nothing makes me happier on a set than watching someone who comes in and their guard is up and they're nervous or maybe fearful, and you can mm-hmm. see that they're afraid of connecting with someone and just totally disarming them and putting yeah. them into the space where they can actually have a, a meaningfully uh, a meaningfully pleasant sexual experience with you. I love that. I love that work. Uh, I love being the safe place on a set. <laughs> um, that's, that's really fun for me. And it's very, um, it's kind of a gratifying way to uh, redress the things that have happened to me mm-hmm. in, in many ways. I, I don't feel... I don't feel stolen from anymore or maimed. I feel seasoned. Wow. I love the way. You have an incredibly, first of all, you have an amazing vocabulary, but you have a way of putting things that is like really just spot on. You're so sweet. I love it. You're so sweet. I'm just, I'm not into this. I I think it's kind of a, a, a sort of, it's more pernicious because it's kind of under the surface, but this whole like branding someone as like forever changed and redefined by being assaulted or from undergoing harassment or any type of trauma. Uh, I, I don't like some of the language that we use around that. Like mm. I don't feel, um, I feel that there's a time and a space where we do have to acknowledge our woundedness in the immediate aftermath, but then I think the question then becomes, how can we transform these experiences into meaningful things for us, things that um, enhance and strengthen the kind of tapestry of of our character and existence? Mm -hmm. And I think as a result of what happened to me, 
I feel an extreme kinship and kind of protectiveness mm-hmm. over new girls coming into the industry. Um, they always tell you that you should be the person that the younger version of yourself needed when mm. they were young. And I, I feel that a lot whenever new girls come to me, especially in the aftermath of like the series of like tweets and educational stuff that I've right. done. Right, right, right. I feel a kind of responsibility in yeah. that sense. What's the one thing that you wish that you had known when you first got into the industry or you <clears> wish you had been told? Um, <laughs> I think the first thing that I tell people, um, God, I'm so indelicate. You know, I'm from, I was raised in a trailer park, so <laughs> I don't exactly uh, put on airs or pull punches. And so I think the first thing I tell men whenever they get into the business and the first thing I, I tell a lot of girls is I'm like, you know, you're getting herpes, right? Like if you don't have it, <laughs> you're getting it, right? Like, like, let's just clear this up. Like, and dead ass, like I've, can, I've talked to multiple people of like, oh yeah, I'm talking to this agent. I'm like, well, I just want you to know, like, Go get your HPV shot because if you don't have one of the strains, you're probably going to get that, um, and you're probably going to get <laughs> some form of like cold sores or something like that. Like, right. like you're in close contact with human beings twenty four seven. Like you're yeah. gonna, and, and it's also fine. It's not yeah. a big deal. <laughs> like, but I always tell people that. Um, I always tell people. I tell people as many unglamorous things as I can about porn. I tell them all of the awful stuff first, and I'm like. All right, but it's not all bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I, I talk to them about the good things, but I always lead with the horrible. I'm always yeah. just like, all right, don't do this because then you could get trapped into this situation that would look a lot like, you know, <laughs> like don't get locked into a long contract because then you're basically being human trafficked and then don't do this, yeah. don't do that. Like I go with all of these like super long um, of negatives, but the thing is, is that what I wish... I think the biggest thing that I wish that I had known whenever I first got into the business was that there are so many ways to exist within pornography. There are so many paths that you can take. You could be a girl girl only performer. You can be a webcam model, sometimes born performer. You can be this, that, and whatever. And that you don't have to do or be any one way to be successful. I think that like agents come in and they just want to, they're like, we're going to make you the next Riley Reed or we're going to make you the next Lana Rhodes. And so mm-hmm. you've got to start out doing everything exactly this way. Mm-hmm. And like, there's this whole sense of like, it's do or die and that you have to work, you know, 25 days a, a, a month in your early days. Cause you never know. <clears throat> you, you never know, know if you're going to get booked again. Exactly. Yeah. And just that go slow. Do this at your own pace. Mm-hmm. Take a personal inventory of yourself often. See how you feel about the things that you're doing. And really, um, don't get in a rush. Yeah. I try to tell girls that too all the time. I'm like, there's no reason to like jump into doing everything at once if that's mm-hmm. not what you're comfortable with. If that's what you want to do, like, go great. But if you're not, like, it, that work will always be there. Exactly. You know, and because the thing is, once you take that step, you can't come back. Mm-hmm. Like, it, once that scene's on the internet, it's never going away. Exactly. Like, you can't, you can't take it back. So you've got to really be sure that you're doing what you want to do. Yeah, I think realistically, every girl should understand the health side of this, understand the health and hygiene side of what we do. They should understand realistically what they can expect to net in mm-hmm. porn because there's a lot of misconceptions early on about that. Yeah, this like is, you got to pay your taxes. <laughs> exactly. You don't actually, yeah, because as independent contractors, you often get the full amount 
exactly. of money. You don't get your taxes taken out. You don't get to keep all that. <laughs> no, realize that you're really realistically, when you factor in agency fees and Ubers and Lyfts and wardrobe and nails and testing and all of that, you're realistically taking home like 50% of what, mm-hmm. you're, yep. of what you actually make. Yep. And if you're lucky, yeah. If you're actually good with your money, yeah. Um, you're realistically only taking about fifty percent of your take-home pay um, is what you keep. But the the biggest thing that I see is just girls that need to look before they leap. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of girls get into this business and realize very quickly on, I didn't do my research about what this job was going to be like. Right, right, yeah. Um, or I didn't look up like. The producer I was going to work with, or mm-hmm. anything like that, mm-hmm. and yeah, like talk to three different agents before you sign with any. I agree. Minimum, talk to three different agents. Talk to different girls. Talk to different girls within their agencies. If you haven't worked with a director before, ask about him. Ask yeah. girls in your agency. Ask other places. Figure out because, like, your agent. A lot of these agents that I see, um, and I'll just like, I'll just be honest. Like, I I don't have a lot of use or. Uh, liking for a lot of the agents in the business that we have. Um, I think that we're quickly outgrowing the model of agencies anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but in many ways, sometimes your health and safety is a secondary concern for them. For yes. some of these new girls, they see you as expendable. Yes, and I've I've gotten in arguments with agents before about, uh, I remember specifically once this girl came to set and she was really, really sore from a scene that she had done the day before and she was new and she was supposed to be doing a boy-girl scene that day. And she was in the makeup chair, and I think I think we started to try to do the sex stills, and it was just like too painful. She just couldn't do it. Um, and so I called our agent, and he freaked out and insisted that I put her on the phone. And then he's yelling at her and telling her that she's lying and she better do the scene. And da 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 da. And she's like crying. And I just get on the phone with him, and I was just, and he's and he's telling me he's like she's just lying. She's just you know she can do it. And I just was screaming at him like you are not a woman. You are not a woman. You don't have a vagina. You don't know how it feels. Like I believe this girl. I believe that she's in pain. And I am not shooting this scene. Like, are Thank you God. crazy? Thank you for doing that. Thank and he you. was furious with me. Furious I can with almost me. Guess. I can almost guess who that was. You can totally guess I can totally is. guess who that was. <laughs> His day is coming. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a couple of agents um, within this business that I wish nothing but harm upon, to be entirely <laughs> honest. I realize that that's an entirely uninvolved view, but um, don't fuck with women don't yeah. do it don't fuck with our bodies don't fuck with our health don't do things like that and like these agents see these girls as like cattle sometimes yes. and and I'm really not okay with that I'm no. really like if that's if there's one area that porn needs reform in it would be agencies and yeah. to be entirely honest yeah. um, and so we see a lot of these agents that are uh, doing things to their new girls that they would never do to their established girls yes. and with good reputations because the new girls are just ca- quick cash. It's mm-hmm. just quick cash for them. It's just get as many bookings as you can out of them because they'll be here and gone right. within a second. Right. Um, and so the key is like, do your research about the agencies, please, please, please. I had an opportunity to sign with that same agent that you're talking about because mm-hmm. I know exactly who it is. Mm-hmm. I had an opportunity to sign with them uh, at the after my first scene. Mm-hmm. I, I did my first scene. Um, and they came knocking and they promised me, oh, we're going to make you a star. Like all of these people on our roster. Look at all these people. And then I started doing Googling and I'm like, wow, you people are evil. Like actually <laughs> evil. You don't give a fuck about the girls that are in your agency. Like you just want a booking and like you, no, no. 
Yeah. And so I told him where he could stick his five-year contract. Um, (laughs) I am not a fan of contracts in general, I got to say. And that's something that my parents actually always taught me. My mom was always very much against contracts. I agree. Um, And I have found that almost every time I've signed a contract, I have fucking regretted it. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Yeah. You're actually so right. Like anytime I, yeah, no, I. You know what's funny? Actually, Nikki Benz gave me um, a great piece of advice. I remember asking her about a contract and I know that she Mm-hmm. She her she had a contract issue as well, but she said to me, she goes, I've found that my issue, that the problem with contracts is that there's always one person in it who's unhappy. It's either the person who gave you the contract or the person who's under contract. Exactly. And I was like, that's that's true. And I found that to be totally true. One person is not winning in a contract. There's a winner and a loser in, in most contracts. Yeah. And when you're new, you're almost always a loser. <laughs> yeah. So be careful. Definitely feel it out. Uh, if you can go without an agent, go without an agent. Yep. Um, but don't um, don't be afraid to ask girls questions. Yes. Slide into slide into other female performers' DMs. Like, yeah. please tweet we, at them. The girls they really like to help each other. You know, they really do in this a- in this age of social media. Like, if you're a, if you're a prospective performer who has questions. If you're a male performer who has questions, it's, <laughs> I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry, bro. But <laughs> don't ask me that. I know, not, right? It's always the guys who are like, "Oh, so I want some advice." I'm like, "No, no, no." It's always the dudes who ask, and I'm so sorry. It's not a. It's not really a sexism thing. It's the rest of your gender has made this so hard because I have to tell you, I get you know between ten and twenty five emails every day from men asking to get into porn or mm-hmm. what they should do to be a better like this, that, or whatever. Yeah. Um, so if you're a male talent, I'm not really sure how to help you. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I wish I did. I, I wish I did. Um, yeah. But as far as female talent go, I often find that if you have cam, if you're a cam girl who's considering doing pro porn, or if you're you know a civilian who's looking at it, I've definitely talked to both. I've I've talked to civilian girls. I've talked to girls who are in other similar sex work spaces i've talked to girls that are new within the business and so on and so forth like any question that you may have be it about health be it about hygiene be it about this that and whatever because let me tell you this is like going back to kindergarten i feel like i spent my first year in porn just sick yeah like not from like stds i've actually never popped a bad test um <laughs> but as far as like I got scarlet fever of what? all things. Wait, that is still around? I know. What is this? The goddamn Oregon Trail? Yeah. <laughs> I got like, scarlet fever on a set one time. I was like, wait a minute. I think that we had something booked or something and you had ah, yes. to cancel. And I remember, yes. and I was like, it was, I think it was I the sent scarlet you pictures. fever. And I was I had, like, what is this? <laughs> what is scarlet fever? What, what do you mean she has scarlet fever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my god, I remember that still because I felt so bad because I was like, oh my god, she's never going to book me again because I'm canceling over a fucking weird-ass Oregon Trail disease. Um, They're going to think I'm so dirty and weird. Again, things where you're very grateful for having. Yeah, no, like because you can get very sick very fast having sex with this many people. It's right. so many different biomes. It's so many different immune systems. So yeah. have savings before you start into porn. Like do webcamming, do Snapchat, do stuff like that first. Because like I had a couple of phases where I started to shoot heavily, and then I got so sick that I'd be down for like four to six weeks. Wow, like really bad. Wow. Yeah, That's I mean, so please, 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 please. Take care of your bodies, ask lots of questions, do your research, all of those things. Lena, thank you so much for coming on. This was such a great interview. I mean, I knew it would be, but I honestly like didn't think that it would be, 
I don't know. I, didn't, I, I had no idea that you were such an incredibly fascinating and diversified person. And I'm oh like so excited to have you here. And um, this has been so great. And I just feel like you said um, so many important things that so many people needed to hear. And I just think it was a really valuable thing to have you here. So You're so you. kind. Thanks for letting me come on and talk about these things. They're all so near and dear to my heart. And I can tell that they're near and dear to yours. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and yeah, I love the I love like all you know the the girls in our industry coming together to, to protect each other. I think it's really important. I really I love the the sisterhood yes. of our job. I, yes. I really I want to the lift. sisterhood of no pants. <laughs> the sisterhood <laughs> of no pants. Yes, yes. Oh my god. Oh my god. Amazing. Sometimes I'm funny. <laughs> that was a good one. That was a good one. That like instantly popped in my head. I'm so proud. I'm not going to have anything that clever for months now. That's going to be the sound blurb. For, for, <laughs> there's going to be a sound blurb of that, I can tell. It's funny, actually, as we've been doing, because, you know, I usually pull one minute um, clips from these mm-hmm. to promote on my Instagram. And I actually thought to myself a couple of times as we were talking, I'm like, I'm not going to be able to pick one because, like, there's so much great stuff in this oh my interview. God. So you're so amazing. I I really appreciate you having me here. You're a, a personal hero of mine. Aww, so. Thank you, love. So can you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Yes, you can find me um, on Twitter at Lena L E N A is a peach. And then on Instagram at Lena Paul XO. See, my voice, it, it's, been, it's been holding out so good. I'm so know, proud. Don't, don't crack. We're almost done. We're don't, almost done. Don't crack. <laughs> Lena Paul XO is my Instagram. And you can pretty much find all of the spaces where you can find, you know, Snapchats and nudies and all kinds of, of illicit stuff. You, you can, it's the jumping off point. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, you guys can find me at Holly Randall on Instagram and on Twitter. And if you want to support this podcast, Holly, hollyrandall.com. Actually, if you want to support this podcast, you can join my newly relaunched website, hollyrandall.com, because that money will help me pay for this as well. I'm on there. But you are on there. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you'll be on there more. <gasps> And um, But if you want to directly support this podcast, go to my Patreon. Um, that's patreon.com slash hollyrandallunfiltered. And um, you can watch these interviews live and we give away all kinds of cool prizes. And also, if you could go and give me a five-star review in iTunes and leave me a review. I'm going to do that too. Only if it's nice. <laughs> I'm going to leave you after this. I'm going to be like, that Lena Paul episode was, was so amazing. nice. Like, That's so weird. It hasn't been published yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would appreciate that so much. Thank you guys so much for listening. <laughs> Lena, thank you so much for coming down. Thanks for having and me. And we will see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Wow is all I have to say. That was an incredible interview. I mean, I always knew that Lena was a bright girl. You know, I really try to have people on here who I think are intelligent and can hold a conversation, but I had no idea the extent of that girl's intelligence. And um, what an incredibly fascinating interview. And just, I love having girls like her on because she really shatters the illusion that all porn stars are stupid. So, um, you know, she's just such a great representation for our industry and um, such an incredibly, you know, inspiring girl and bright girl. So thank you so much, Lena, for coming on. You're amazing. And thank you for your message. And really excited to hear that you're part of the August Ames project. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing that come out and um, help girls in our industry because we really need a resource like that so thank you guys so much for listening and thank you so much lena for coming in we love you so much
Next week on Holly Randall Unfiltered, you are not going to want to miss this. I have one of the most renowned directors in adult, Axel Braun. He is a multi-award winning director. He's very famous for doing big parody movies like Star Wars, Suicide Squad, and um, he is an intense artist. His stuff is beautiful, and he's an incredibly hard worker, and he's really, really well-respected. So I'm excited to have him here. And make sure that you tune in next week for Axel Braun on Holly Randall Unfiltered.